Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Benjamin Graham with the news. Colleague and friend Joshua Kahn will be taking a much-needed sabbatical. After holding the station hostage in a cult-like fashion for weeks, the doors to the outside world were finally opened to reveal that society was not dead at all and the quarantine was the reason for the spread of the common flu throughout the staff. Josh was last seen wandering into the nearby woods, begging God to forgive him for his sin of pride. Don't worry, listeners. I'm sure we'll see him again. After all, it always, at the end, comes round to the same place again. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey there, constant readers. And today, we are wrapping up our coverage of The Stand by watching the miniseries of Yay! The Stand. All six <laughs> hours of the miniseries The Stand. Well, today we have CM leading our discussion, so CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. The Stand is a 1994 miniseries directed by Mick Garris, who also directed Sleepwalkers, and he created fucking Masters of Horror. Really? Really? Yes. He. But, but so, those are good. <laughs> Masters of Horror, for those of you who may not be familiar, familiarize yourself because it's awesome. <laughs> it is an anthology television series. It was conceived in the early 2000s and it brought together all of the horror director greats. Like any horror movie you've seen that you've liked, any director you enjoy, they were a master of horror at some point. And the relationship I have with that series is very unique because it's the only film I ever watched. They have this one episode called Imprint. And Mick Garris himself said it was the most disturbing film he's ever seen. Showtime wouldn't air it. They were both correct. (laughs) After I watched it, I burst into tears. What's it about? I haven't seen that one. It's a 19th century tourist goes to Japan to reconnect with a prostitute that he had met years before. Mm -hmm. And that tells you absolutely nothing about why that show, that episode is so terrifying. But it was only made available. You could only watch it on DVD or Blu-ray, oh. which Anchor Bay released, Anchor Bay Entertainment. And I have it. I, I will be <laughs> borrowing that <laughs> and DVD. I'll, and I'll never watch it again. Let's um, watch it. Let's watch it right now. Anyway, back to the stand <laughs> now that I've triggered myself. Uh, so the guy that made something that destroyed my psyche also created, also directed the stand. <laughs> that is insane. <laughs> this is the most toothless bullshit. <laughs> It, it is so obviously a product of the 90s network television. I would argue that The Stand is a mullet. But we're, <laughs> we're going to get to that. No, wait. Yeah, no, <laughs> hold yeah. on. You're going to have to explain <laughs> I, that sentence. <laughs> I'll, I'll get to it. I'll okay. tie it all in. The Stand has a pretty sweet cast. Gary Sinise, Miguel Ferrer, Rob yeah. Lowe, Ossie mm-hmm. Davis, Bill mm-hmm. Fagerback. Ed Harris, Laura San uh, Giacomo, I think I said that right, and Shawnee Smith. Uh, Oh, and James Sheridan's mullet. 
<laughs> Which literally led me to Google the phrase, when did mullets go out of style? <laughs> Immediately. Before this miniseries. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Before we move on, there's a scene where he pops out of the corn to scare Mother Abigail, and he literally just looks like old Greg. It is, <laughs> yes. it is awful. <laughs> I thought that you was love cool. Me. <laughs> An interesting thing that I want to share with you guys, Miguel Ferrer wanted to play Flag and James Sheridan did like a really good job, I think, but Miguel Ferrer would have also killed it. Miguel but he Ferrer did such rules. a good Lloyd that I'm I'm happy either way. <laughs> he's he's one of my favorite like character actors. I, I never remember his name because I don't remember anyone's name under any circumstances. But uh, yeah, he would have been there are a lot of people that could have played Flag. Yeah. So much better than <laughs> this fucking guy. <laughs> well, this film was pretty well regarded and it won a lot of awards. That <laughs> can't be true. That it it was the 90s, man. Um, one more thing before we dive into this, I need to say about the production. So the stand was filmed primarily in Utah because it was too gay for Colorado. Yeah, I read that. It Wait, is, what? Okay, yes. so it was supposed to be uh, filmed in Boulder. All of the Boulder scenes were going to be filmed in Boulder, Colorado, but just before they went to start filming, um, Colorado passed Amendment 2, which was a, a law that completely undid any um, protections and rights for gay people at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stephen King and the producers were like, oh, fuck that. And they pulled out, which is pretty rad. That is awesome. Yeah, they're protesting. I think some other films did that, too. But fortunately, that amendment was later. The Supreme Court um, ruled that it was a violation of equal protection rights. So that is gone now. But it's just shitty that that of course wow what a surprise that that's a part of our history. Glenn, nah. you want to bring that back, buddy? <laughs> The Stand was broadcast in four parts, The Plague, The Dream, The Betrayal, and The Stand. And we're not going to do a blow-by-blow of each of these because we've spent six months talking about the movie (laughs) and the book. But I do want to talk about just sort of some of the changes that stuck out to me and you guys and that maybe we thought were kind of cool. Overall, I thought it was a pretty faithful adaptation. It does do... A few things different, one of which we get in the opening scene, and that's the persistent presence of Flag, who seems to be orchestrating things rather than coming into himself as the world is thrown into chaos the way he does in the book. Yeah, there, there's way more Flag intensive in the beginning of it. But I also think that it's so much harder to convey the creation or the birth of Randall flag in this universe. Because I, because of that, I enjoyed the way that they connected him in a visual aspect for us. Yeah. There, there's a lot of stuff in here that are pretty big changes, but would be really impossible to film in the way that they're written. I mean, obviously they're going to change stuff because mm-hmm. as much as I complained that it is six goddamn hours long (laughs) that's pretty efficient like yeah they couldn't have gotten this down further although i find it interesting that uh they did try to um originally because it wasn't supposed to be a miniseries it was going to be a film directed by george romero oh right no how 
That would have been great. I know. I'm saying no. Yeah. Why didn't we get that? Well, because they asked Stephen King to write the screenplay and he just <laughs> couldn't. He just yeah. couldn't. Yeah, write. that's not possible. <laughs> he couldn't fit it into a two hour movie. So then they tried to make two movies and Stephen King was like, no, it has to be six hours at least. And we got this. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of does. Well, I, I do want to talk about a couple of the th- the ways that we are introduced to flag because I just thought they were cool. We open with a crow at the army base, which isn't like necessarily cool. But if you've read the book, you're like, that's flag. What's going on? And when Campion is driving away, he has visions of flag and he tells them after he crashes and he's dying that there was a grinning man behind him and he thought he could outrun him. That's why he was driving. And then when Lloyd gets arrested, he looks up and on top of the telephone pole, he sees a crow. And then he looks up again and it's flag. It's the actor. Yeah, like, just on sitting, this. Just sitting on the liked, flagpole. I, I loved that. that. I thought that was neat. And then as Larry's mom is dying, she warns him about flag. I remember most of them. I checked out through a lot of this, you guys. So you were take at a disadvantage because Josh and I got to watch it together and you had to watch it on uh, your own. At, I work third shift, listeners, and I do not recommend watching this alone <laughs> at three in the morning. Not because it is scary, but because it is the most boring thing in the world. We also get a new character that I just need to give a shout out to, and that is the flu product placement. <laughs> that was amazing. I really liked the, the like, you see the commercial, which was very jarring at first. I, I noticed... They're walking and I see there was a billboard just off to the side and it made me giggle. And then later it's on a park bench and yeah. <laughs> just like uh, throughout And he gives it to his mom. Yeah. Uh, it is actually part of probably my favorite part of the entire miniseries is 30 seconds long. It is when the judge near the end is out spying and he's driving towards uh, Vegas and he comes upon a billboard for this flu remedy uh, with the man uh, crucified on it. Yeah. And a sign around his neck saying drug addict spelled out in needles. That, I was like, well, shit, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty <laughs> uh, rad. Really all the coolest parts in the uh, movie had to do with corpses. Uh, <laughs> I'll talk more about that later. One thing that I thought they really nailed down was how shitty Fran and Harold are. <laughs> there is a scene Josh and I had to have like a mini discussion because it just irritated us because I I'm full on board again with I don't like Franny as a character. I just yeah, can't agreed. stand her. Harold, it's everybody's dead and she and Harold are in her living room and they're listening to music and drinking warm lemonade and he's trying to kind of put the moves on her and she's like, Harold, we'll always be friends. Now let me rest my head in your lap. So fucked up. (laughs) Franny as a whole, uh, they took any interesting part of her character because she was, and whether you liked her or not, she had characteristics at least. (laughs) And arguably, Molly Ringwald doesn't. Yeah. Okay, I I feel really bad because I can't act, so I don't dare like judge someone else. But I, I couldn't tell if I didn't like Molly Ringwald's performance or if I just hate Franny so much. That it seeped into that, and I'm associating Molly Ringwald. With I, I love Molly yes. Ringwald. Uh, is the answer to that. <laughs> yeah. I, I love Molly Ringwald. Uh, I mean, Breakfast Club, classic, whatever. 
it's not good. But I would argue very few of the performances in this are uh, even <laughs> decent. So <laughs> it's not her fault. Uh, uh, a little bit. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Agree to disagree. <laughs> she had plenty to do. She has some blame in this. I just think Molly Ringwald. You know, you bring her up, and it's immediately you know Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles, and everybody just remembers how much they love those movies and Fair. disregard her ability <laughs> as an actor. And I don't care about those movies, so because I'm dead inside. <laughs> I thought another interesting change uh, was with two characters, and we got that reveal sort of when Larry meets Raydeen. Did you say Raydeen? Raydeen. Oh, I just got it. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was weird um, that uh, they completely delete Rita. I was fine with that. Yeah, and what do they do? <laughs> what do they do instead? Yeah, uh, so instead, he meets Nadine in New York City. She's basically just Rita. She's not Nadine at all. Right. Yeah, I agree with Because that. she's addicted to pills, and beat for beat, it pretty much goes the same. Mm-hmm. Until uh, where Rita dies, Nadine has a dream about Flag and ditches him. And maybe that was... I'm making this way deeper than I think the movie intended, but maybe that was Nadine's soul dying when she made that choice to leave. You're definitely, <laughs> definitely yeah, getting that's more, get more credit than uh, a character played by the lady from Just Shoot Me deserves. Laura San Giacomo. She's the lady from Just Shoot Me. She's, <laughs> yeah, Maya Gallo. Ugh, I. I'm trying not to be mean to the actors in this. Uh, She is a manic pixie dream girl, though. The way she plays Rita Nadine is so weird. She's a weird, weird lady. When they first meet, and I know it's the end of the world, so maybe she's just playing off that. Like, I'd probably be so giddy at seeing another living person. But it it was bizarre. It, Yeah, uh, just one of many performances that made me go, What's going on? What <laughs> what choice was this? I was I just liked that they skipped over the 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 cuts they made for cutting out characters like we mm-hmm. we cut out Rita, we cut out Jess, we cut out Fran's mom. The all these characters that are really fun to hate in the book because we don't need them. They're not necessary. True. And when you have to cut out what you can in a situation like this, and I, for the most part, agreed with nearly every cut they made. That's, I, I can agree with that too. Um, All of the evil in Fran's mom went into the staff at the hospital where Stu was being kept and the people in Vegas, which were all of these characters that were human people were reduced to, we're bad guys. <laughs> Vegas is so fucking weird. Yeah. It is in the book, you know, we multiple times the people in Vegas, they're just like the people in Boulder. They're uh seemingly nice one-on-one. It's just they're following this monster. <laughs> but in this, they all dress like they're members of Cobra. They dress, <laughs> they dress like they're in Vegas. Like 
normal time. Like, we're here to party. They're all wearing suits and dresses and stuff. It's not appropriate for yeah, the Yeah, they're the world. either wearing suits and stuff, or they are dressed like the Rat Man <laughs> with weird leather belts. They look like they were trying to make a... <laughs> An you just action God. figure out of the guy. Rat, I, Ratman, <laughs> of all the characters to double down on, Ratman was the choice. Ratman is introduced in the first episode, and he carries over. He's, Did we even met, talk about the Ratman in uh, our proper episodes? Maybe in, in passing? Oh, yeah, because we talked about Julie Lawry. Yeah, the only note I had about the Rat Man in the book was, oh, Lord, there's a Rat Man. (laughs) That's it. I led that episode, but when Josh was like, oh, the Rat Man, I'm like, the what? (laughs) I didn't remember who he was or what he did at all. And literally in the first episode before the plague, Larry is like on the phone with someone, hangs up runs into a guy and he turns around and he's like, the rat man's gonna get you. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> and he's not wrong. Oh, But just too much. Just too it much is, rat man. Yeah. Too much rat man for anything. Going back a little bit, uh, I thought the scene between Flag and Lloyd was really cool. As we were watching this, you know, it goes basically the way it does in the book. Very faithful in that way. And Flag holds out his hand and he has the stone and he puts it on the back of his hand on top of it. And then his hand closes the wrong way over it. It's so awesome. That was a really cool effect. Yeah, I like that a lot. So there are a lot of things that I like about the miniseries. I, I like those little details that look really good visually and kind of take the place of some things in the book that wouldn't come Mm -hmm. across visually. There are some really cool visual aspects. And I thought it, maybe you didn't feel this way, Ben, because of the circumstances surrounding your watching, but um, when we were watching it, it did move along. Like it was six hours. I've spent a harder six hours. (laughs) Yeah. If I'm sure I would feel the same way if I had been here (laughs) and not trying to keep my eyes open in my apartment alone. (laughs) No, I, I, I do agree that the performances, not great. The uh, Some of the sets, real bad. Uh, talking about Mother Abigail? Absolutely. Yes. Not. Interesting fact. They, so to to buy a corn stalk for like a New York prop, yeah. it was like $40 a stalk. It was cheaper to plant their own crop. But then the corn didn't grow higher than four feet. <laughs> yeah, because that was odd. I think that was the only that was the only set that you could tell it was a set, which isn't to say disagree. That the set designers <laughs> didn't do a beautiful job, and the matte painting was beautiful, but it just felt like a studio. Now, that that scene and uh, Flag's office are two of the worst sets I've ever seen in anything. They're so obviously a soundstage. Yeah. Like plywood floors <laughs> painted to look like marble. <laughs> it looked like a bathroom. Wait, you can do that? Like, it oh, looked terrible. I'm going to make my house fancy. <laughs> but, like I was saying, there were a lot of things that made me go, oh shit, that is, that looks really cool. And like I said earlier, they all have to do with corpses. Any scene, all of my favorite shots, the beginning where it was just a pan through the lab Mm -hmm. and everyone dead. When the lights came on in Boulder. That was great. Another one of my favorite parts is just the lights coming on and then these quick shots of around Boulder and just people's dead bodies 
like laying on a table while a blender comes on. <laughs> Someone sitting in a car wash while it like sprays everywhere. I thought that was cool. That was cool. I liked that. And that ends my positive uh, notes. <laughs> I will argue one more. Mm. But first I have to make a comment on something I didn't like. No, Joe Leo. There was a little kid. He shows mm-hmm. up with Lucy, does not have the shine. For what purpose he even served in the story, I don't know. They could have cut him out entirely. My favorite character, I hate to say this, but because of just the way that Shawnee Smith steals every scene yes. she is in, Julie Laurie killed I it. loved she, her. Oh my God, she's bonkers. amazing. Yes. There was one, so the scene where she is, her and uh, Tom and Nick are fighting and they're telling her, we don't need you. She takes off her shoe. She throws it, <laughs> she throws it at them. And yep. it's a big heel, like something you don't want to walk with just one. Throws it at them and then runs down the street screaming like a maniac. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. was beautiful. Her firing out of the window at them and just like cackling like a lunatic it's awesome she's having the best time in the world (laughs) for sure it it really paid off for her career wise because she would go on to play the receptionist on becker oh she was also in saw yeah it's no becker (laughs) (laughs) becker's pretty top tier entertainment Uh, absolutely ladies and gentlemen wait for my uh upcoming becker podcast (laughs) (laughs) the best acting i would say all the moments between Rob Lowe and Bill Fagerback. Yes, all the way. Bill playing Tom. I thought he did an amazing job. I thought Tom was great. Yeah. Tom, it, he nails it 100%. You love Tom Cullen as much as you do. Disagree about Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe is actually deaf in his right ear. That's why he was chosen. He was originally, they were thinking of him for Larry Underwood, but they decided, well, also the guy they that plays Larry Underwood is actually musician apparently, but Rob Lowe has experience with not being able to hear it being deaf. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. It's, it's not Rob Lowe's fault. I don't think it's just, how would you, that would be a really hard part to play because it's all just writing stuff down. It's not exactly riveting television. He can't really act a whole lot. Maybe I'm just nostalgic for that 90s haircut. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of my favorite scenes is because of Rob Lowe's acting. Uh, when, we, when they meet, uh, which of the things, there are a handful of things that I thought were absolutely perfect about this miniseries. One of them being what Tom does to the town. When Nick oh, arrives in town, yes. it is the most perfect uh, scene painting of what Tom has turned this town into. Also, later when we see Tom's house in Boulder, and it's yeah. just mm-hmm. a, just it's a great, solid gold, great adaptation of his decorating. Yeah. So that moment when we talked about this in the book that since Tom can't read and he's conveying and and Tom has that moment of realization and he's like, oh, you're you can't you can't talk and you you can't hear and the line of dialogue in the book is that he couldn't remember the last time his disability brought somebody so much joy and in just in that few seconds between the two of them we i, I felt like we got that the mm-hmm. the look on Rob Lowe's face sent like i i could almost hear it it was great 
Uh, all I can think about, though, about Roblo's performance is his delivery of uh, after he gets beaten up, he has a dream. He's the first one to dream about Mother Abigail. And he wakes up in the cornfield and his delivery of the line, I can hear, is I hated that. Crazy. I hated that scene so much. <laughs> yeah. That is way too, way too early. Like we're we're not in, invested in his deaf muteness at this point, really. So the a reward of him being able to speak in here doesn't mean anything. It was a very strange delivery, uh, but not as strange as at the end, the scene of his death, which should be the most somber, like tense scene, when he hears Mother Abigail actually tells him she's like in the streets and she whispers to herself it's in the closet and he can hear it telepathically or whatever and his reaction is to flip out and sprint across the room like flailing his arms and screaming (laughs) and it made me laugh out loud I feel like I feel like that's how it was in the book there was no payoff we weren't invested in it and it was the way he just ran back to that thing was pointless and I hated it well, yeah, well, yes. So I think him dying it. at all sucks. <laughs> yeah. But just the way he does it is absurd. He <laughs> looks like a goon. Ben, I have a question I yeah. that we need to talk about. So I need you to tell me about your feelings and the portrayal of the trash can man. Number one best part of the whole thing. Hands down. Hands down. He does He's an amazing job. He does amazing. He's I in Star Trek know, TNG. Is he? It's, this is an <laughs> off-mic conversation, but... <laughs> I've just started watching uh, CM's favorite show. Uh, yes, he is so good. He does so much with so little. So awesome at the end when he has comes back with radiation sickness and he takes off his goggles oh, and yeah. his skin peels away with it. It's so cool. Ah, <laughs> so rad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously. He's the trash can man. He fucking rules. And CM, how did you feel about surprise Kathy Bates? I wanted more <laughs> <Okay>. of Flowers. <laughs> okay. The, I, I could talk for 10 minutes just about the cameos in this. Do it. They're nuts. <laughs> uh, Kathy Bates playing the radio host that uh, Ray. locks himself in the book uh, in his, in his uh, studio. It's played by Kathy Bates. Fucking rad. Because she became available and Stephen King wanted her in the movie so bad that he's like, Okay, now that that's a woman's squirrel. Okay. Yeah, so cool. Um, the monster shouter in New York <laughs> yes! City. Did you guys notice? Yeah. Uh, played by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar <laughs> of all people. Uh, kills it. Yeah, great really. job. <laughs> and then dies with his arm up in the air. A lot of people oh, so die. Many people of their did. Arms up in the air. <laughs> they die in the most unnatural. The judge dies in the car and then just like kind of stands up instead of slumping over. What's that about? <laughs> in the opening, there's a guy dead in the lab, just propped up against a door. Yeah, His hand is over his head. Like he's reaching for something. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> uh, let's see who else. Uh, th- speaking of the judge, uh, the guy that kills the judge is Sam Raimi. Wait, oh, n- oh, I missed that. Really? Yeah. Uh, he's played by Sam Raimi. Huh. John Landis has a cameo. I don't know who, but he is in there. Um, apparently, I believe I read that uh, Jeff Goldblum 
is a radio announcer at some point. He was someone they had in mind for Flag. I know, and mm, mm, that is that kills me that he doesn't play Flag. <laughs> that is perfect. If casting. Jeff Goldblum was Flag, I'd be Nadining all over that. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be the best casting. Um, although Willem Dafoe was also mm-hmm. uh, tagged. I would have loved Willem Dafoe, and he's got flag. the smile. Yeah, that is good. Uh, and then, of course, the cameo to end all cameos. Our friend Teddy, played by King himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Less of a cameo, like that had a decent role. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he picks up Nadine <laughs> and uh, brings Nadine to Boulder. Which like, was why so, did she leave? Well, at all? she left because she was getting too tempted by Larry. I they guess. almost slept together in the tent that night. Because I thought that I hadn't seen it for a while. So I was like, oh, Nadine never makes it to Boulder. Okay, so what pushes Harold over the edge? But then she does come back and Mm. has like this weird, bizarre interaction with Mother Abigail that I did not understand. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, Nadine and Harold got the worst of this adaptation, I think. It was just as gross as I imagined it reading the book. Gross, yes. But their mode... Harold's motivation is way less sensical. Like it doesn't, it's not explained well Mm -mm. because literally as soon as, uh, Stu and Fran make out because no one can have sex in this fucking show, (laughs) they just walk up to Harold and they're like, Hey Harold, guess what we just did. (laughs) (laughs) And we don't get Harold's like slow decline we don't it's he's just like man i'm mad i'm gonna wear the dumbest looking leather jacket in the whole that world. leather jacket is garbage that is so but it Harold. is something a 16 year old <laughs> would definitely be like this will be cool i thought that actor did a good job being a little bit uh, insufferable and like i wanted anytime he was on the screen i wanted to pull back away from my tv like it's just his presence was a little bit off-putting. They did, like, one thing that I thought was really cool is that they make him slightly more attractive as it goes on. And I thought that was a really good representation between the the book and movie. Like, his skin clears up, he stops wearing his glasses all the time, he actually, like, brushes his hair, <laughs> like, he pulls himself together a little bit, and I thought that was a cool nod to his growth in the book. What did you think about the love story between Harold and Stu? Okay. Ex- yes. Explain. What? Because at the end, Stu has Harold specific shining. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> what was up with that? I don't know. So, I wish I could tell you. Yeah. So in the, in the book, while Harold is dying, you know, obviously the audience is getting that through the writing, but instead in the miniseries, we're getting it through Stu who is walking down the road and like all of a sudden it's like he's attacked and he's with this vision or sense or feeling of Harold. And he's like, Harold's dying. And then when Harold shoots himself, Stu can taste the oil from the gun in his mouth. Um, Yeah. It's very weird, especially considering the last we see of Harold, he writes a note saying, I'm sorry, I was misled and then, and then kills himself. And I was like, Oh, they're going to, like I what I expected was it would cut to uh Stu and them and they would hear the gunshot go off and they'd turn around rush around a corner and find his body or something. But instead, yeah, Stu just goes 
Harold's dead. <laughs> I don't know so how, dumb. but I know it. Well, when you share a woman, you have a bond. Cool. <laughs> I want to talk about the only moment in this miniseries that made me go, fuck you. I think we both yelled, fuck you. We did. At the TV. <laughs> One of the most heart-wrenching scenes in the book is when they put Tom Cullen under hypnosis and give him his instructions as a spy. It is sad. Uh, it, it's it's heartbreaking. It's tense. And for the most part, I thought they did a good job in that representation. I was just as uncomfortable watching them all sit around a table and do this to Tom. In the book, there are two great things. There are two great moments. One is that you hear the voice of the Tom that never was. You hear God's Tom. We don't get that in the series. He just keeps his normal tone. That's fine. I can get over that. Here's the thing that I cannot get over. The most heart-wrenching moment is when everybody is in silence and Tom's voice Mm -hmm. shakingly comes back and says, don't leave me out here. And that's what pushes them to, to finally finish. In the series, they give that line to Molly Ringwald. <laughs> I was she, so fucking mad. And she delivers it like Molly Ringwald. She just grabs Stu. Don't leave him out there. Blech. No, no. Fuck you. Fuck <laughs> you for that choice. We were both so angry when I, that happened. <laughs> God, was so mad. <laughs> Did you miss that part? I did. Oh, I, did I wish not. you, because I was like, oh, we get to that part. Ben's going yeah. <laughs> to That definitely sucks. I'm going to pull up the scene and make you watch it before we leave, just so that you can be a part of this. We can all agree that there were a lot of missed opportunities in this. For sure. So I want to ask you guys if you could um, change one thing about this adaptation, what would it be? Because I have my answer. And that is the same answer I say about everything. More Ed Harris. <laughs> Ed Harris fucking rules. He is so good and he has such a small part. He plays the general who is in charge of all of the trying to shut it down. Uh, trying to cover up trips in the first episode. And he's amazing. His performance is perfect. And I wish that character was, uh, I either wish that character was more prominent or Ed Harris just would have played literally anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Do you, would you, because in the series, he just shoots himself off camera mm-hmm. and they rush in to find his body. Whereas in the book, he goes down to the lab and walks around before oh, he does that. Would yes. you, would you have enjoyed, like, this is, oh, you've already said six hours is too long. Would you have? Gone an extra 10 minutes for that scene? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I think that would, especially since that's one of the, like, coolest visuals that the the series gave us of just 10 minutes of Ed Harris, like, gravely walking around a bunch of corpses. Hell yes, I would have watched that. I would change Dana. Because Dana Mm. is also a character who's merged with someone else. She's, um... Perry. Perry. Thank you. And you don't get the sense. Oh, she's not a lesbian either. I don't think. It's no, not of course really clear. Not. It's which the is early like, 90s okay, on ABC. Thanks. <laughs> but you don't get a sense of who she is. She's not this strong 
female character that you can read about and enjoy. She she does have her death scene with the banana and that plays out <laughs> and she takes her own life and all of that's fine, but it was it was too too little too late. Like I wanted that mm-hmm. character. God, we get so much of Franny. Give us more Dana. Yeah, when we see her see Tom in Vegas, I literally like said out loud have we even seen her before? Because <laughs> we, we see her in the the Perry role of mm-hmm. Stu operating on this guy and her him dying. And they say, uh, uh, Dana, it's, it's going to be okay or whatever. Do we see her between there and Vegas? Just in, just in scenes like an extra almost. Yeah. I think in the committee meetings, we see her in the crowd and maybe... Yeah, like that's it. Yeah, she doesn't really have a prominent role otherwise. Yeah, and not I that would, she did in the book, but they would have had to give her a little more to honor that character because that was a strong character. Agreed. Josh, what do you change? I would something that this series did that drove me insane was it gave me exactly what I wanted, and then immediately after did something shitty. And so this is the scene that I would fix when. Flag brings Nadine back to Vegas and brings Lloyd up for the debriefing when they go through that whole process. And then Lloyd's like, oh, I, I know who the, the other spy is. And Flag freaks the fuck out and throws that temper tantrum and throws him around. I loved that scene. That freak out was absolutely everything I wanted it to be. However, it is followed by the scene where Nadine stands up and starts talking and just casually strolls over to the le- to the ledge, climbs up on it, and then falls over, all making yeah. direct eye contact with Flag and talking to him, and just slowly climbs up and then gonna... is like, "Well, gotta go," and dips back. I was gonna ask you guys what you thought about that because part of me was like. She was in full control of herself. She made the decision to jump. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, yeah, but was it cooler when she made the decision to get him to do it? Because what does that then cost him? (laughs) Yeah, because in the book, she's still completely in control. She does it knowing exactly what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But but it costs him something because she makes him do it. Exactly. It's that added fuck you of like, good job, you lost the one thing in the world that's important to you, and it's your own goddamn fault. See, I thought it was... I I didn't think... I think she made the choice in the book because that's the only way she could get out. She Mm. wasn't... She was in control of herself, but she couldn't have made a break for the ledge without him catching her. So she had to set him off. That, yeah, that too. Without a doubt. And so with this, like... It makes him look stupid. It makes him look <laughs> idiotic because he just stands still and just watches her walk out. I wonder where she's going. Right, why is she getting on that thing? That's not where you should be. Up, ah, butterscotch. Speaking of <laughs> looking idiotic, <laughs> getting to the the last of the four parts, we finally see uh, Flag's true form the the horn creature. What I'm most upset about, and maybe I actually should change my answer to fix this scene, 
There was no little face on his dick. <laughs> you, just, you have to look closer. No, but seriously, his. Uh, when does it happen the first time? Is it with her in the desert? Her right? dream while she's with Larry in the city. I think doesn't he change his face then, or does he does just get he? glowy eyes? Because I remember we saw it really early on. It's like, oh, they're giving. Oh, that I must up have missed soon. that too. But. The it is the worst special effect I've ever seen in anything. <laughs> his the, the his face first turning to like a bad CGI blob, and then turning into horrible makeup. Demon. <laughs> I there's no way to describe it, you guys. You just have to Google it. It's bad. I was shocked with how Flag looked. <laughs> like the mullet was bad enough. I will argue his best look is after the judge is killed and he shows up to eat that guy and he transforms and he's still got feathers in his hair. That I actually loved that because <laughs> it is no, it is straight from the book. I know. Uh, I that just... One of the illustrations is you see flag from behind and just feathers flying off yeah, of him. But I thought that was a cool touch. But nothing look makes a mullet look more idiotic <laughs> than feathers flying out of your mullet. Like, I just um, looks like a fucking idiot. He does. My, he really my does. monster creation would be that guy, just normal haircut. He transforms, and all that is different is that he has that mullet. <laughs> <laughs> the, the mullet. Business in the front, evil in the back. <laughs> The, the mullet's bad. The Canadian tuxedo is just as bad. <laughs> just denim head is to toe. Is that what that means? Have you never yeah, heard that? No, I yeah, that's yeah, Canadian tuxedo. Cana- that. Canadian head to toe. Uh, just, Let's ask Phil Thiessen about the Canadian tuxedo. God, I hope that's not a slur of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I love it's a Canadians. Sex act. <laughs> Another thing that we should talk about is the character of Mother Abigail. What did you guys think? I mostly enjoyed Mother Abigail. I loved the actress's performance. Oh, she did. Of she Mother Abigail. It, yeah. I loved that so much. The only problem I have, and this is no fault of their own, it's an oversight in the script entirely, but it was a moment that made me angry, I guess. <laughs> Is when Mother Abigail is back and she's on her deathbed, she gives a line that is straight out of the book of that uh, saying, God did not bring you together to create a committee. In the miniseries, Mother Abigail puts together the committee. (laughs) She's the one who gives them the names. Yes. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. She puts together the committee I and then is like, of uh, God didn't do this to make you a committee. I made you a committee. <laughs> oh, but that plays into why she left. She's like, oh, I goofed. <laughs> <laughs> she walks up. The scene we don't get is her in the wilderness talking to God. And he's like, a committee? Come on. You're better than that. We've already talked about Ben's characters, Harold sort of and the trash can man mostly josh you had a beef with glenn did the miniseries change anything i really enjoyed glenn in the miniseries he didn't look how i expected but uh, I, I liked him i was both happy and sad that they were like i'll go but i have to bring the dog with me 
I was like, well, yeah. good. At least you brought him with you this time. But I'm sad we didn't get the saga of Big Steve. Yeah, it sort of fixed that sad moment for me in the book. And I was like, oh, they're leaving the dog. And then he went through this whole thing. And I mean, but that journey, reading about it was really awesome. But I'm glad Kojak got a break in the miniseries. Yeah. <laughs> Ko- Kojak was great. That dog. Was Nailed good, it. He was a good boy. Good it boy, was, Kojak. Uh, yeah. A great dog acting. Dynamite bird acting. The bird acting was on point. That's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I kept saying that every time they would do a shot of a bird. Dynamite bird acting. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but they dehumanized the bad guys. They made them like more traditional bad guys. It was really easy to tell in the miniseries. I am rooting for this group. I am rooting against this group. What did you think of that? I It was in the 90s, so it was a very 90s thing to do, Mm -hmm. but it cheapens the story for me in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. It makes sense because we don't have the time to world build, and I get that. But at the same time, yeah, it it undermines that this is not a good versus evil. This is confused people trying to find their place being manipulated by the forces of good and evil. I think that would have been okay because it would have left the audience in that very position if they because they you're right they didn't have the time to do it so if they hadn't done it and we just saw this stuff happening with these people who were like i can't tell the difference between vegas and boulder except for the landscape it would have left us the audience going wait a minute what happened was that supposed to happen why did they do that and it would have been more intriguing i think what i would have liked is the scene with uh with tom and that little boy in vegas denny Mm -hmm. Yeah, Denny, because that was a great introduction to, oh, these aren't all bad people. There are families who were here, like, well, newly formed families that are here. Like, we have a community just like Boulder. I thought that was a very a good humanizing set piece. Yeah. And I would have I would have liked just one scene of that would have been really good, I think, mm-hmm. because everyone is an asshole otherwise. Yeah. Either. Either give us that nuance or just give me all Shawnee Smith. Yeah. She, she, she should was, have been flagged. She, she was all, of, oh my God. That would be some casting. That She's would be got a, the big, big, scary smile. That's true. She has the energy. <laughs> Before we wrap it up here with the end, there is a scene that it was one of those moments where my husband... Just all he hears from the basement is Josh and I screaming at the TV. (laughs) And that is when Harold has his accident. That scene I thought was incredibly visually effective. I (laughs) gasped at first when he just flies across the the guardrail and tumbles down. I, I thought like I really felt for Harold there for a minute because it was so gruesome. And it's exactly what I wanted to see from that. I really felt... Like I was watching a cartoon for a second. Because <laughs> the, the stunt, I don't know how they did that, but literally he goes off a uh, off. They the put side. him in a slingshot and they fire him. <laughs> literally <laughs> did. He literally flies. Looks like he's like 10 feet up in the air yeah. in a seated position. It is, I thought that was hysterical. Almost as funny as Nadine's tiny pink bike. Her tiny pink bike is really great. (laughs) All right. We are coming up on the end, which I think we should definitely chat about because we had some feelings about the way the book ends. Ben, did the (laughs) miniseries heal that for you? (laughs) Oh, my Lord. I don't. (laughs) Everything about 
the the end from uh Larry and Ralph being taken out of the the jail and being led from there until the explosion madness <laughs> it is some of the most bonkers television i've ever seen from them being crucified on giant horseshoes <laughs> yeah that was ridiculous to julie laurie tripping <laughs> That was great. <laughs> I, la- I had to pause it. I was laughing so hard. It's it, it plays out all the same. The face melt scene yes, was the, awesome. The, the face melt was really great. I, who is it? Whitney Horgan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Standing up and saying, you guys, you know this is wrong. And Flag sending out the ball of, of electricity, fire, whatever, magic. And it hits him and his mouth, the, this makeup Matrix. Effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very Neo at the beginning of the Matrix. The the strings melting his mouth yeah. shut. Really cool. <laughs> Until a minute later, when uh, Trash Can Man shows up, and Julie Laurie stands up and yells, "He's got a bomb!" Turns, trips on Whitney <laughs> Morgan's electrified corpse, and dies. That's so good. <laughs> I loved that it moment. The most slapstick moment. <laughs> and I thought for a second, I thought, I'm like, wait, is this gonna start? Please let this start a chain reaction. Oh my god. Of everyone tripping on these magic lightning corpses. <laughs> that would have made more sense for the electricity to get to the bomb than the way it did get there. Yes. <laughs> yes, it would have. <laughs> also, what's the point of killing Julie a minute before an atom bomb explodes? Because <laughs> it was hysterical. Because it was hysterical. But yeah, no, I go ahead. How what happens? I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, um <laughs> Anybody? I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at it. <laughs> The ball of energy turns into a hand and recesses an atom bomb. <laughs> Did you throw up in your mouth, Ben? No one knows what that means but me and my brain. <laughs> And anybody who listens to yeah. the show. Uh, <laughs> the hand of God does hand stuff to an atom bomb. It's pretty sexy. Yes. And, it's, <laughs> and it has Mother Abigail's voice, which makes it so much worse. <laughs> There was no sexy guitar, though, so I I didn't know. Interesting that I had... God, I'm sorry. I just remembered sexy guitar. <laughs> okay. Josh and I were commenting on the musical choices, the score of the film. And there were many a time where we just got this wailing guitar. <laughs> and, like, we took that as... Sex. Yeah, that's like, so sex it guitar. One hundred percent the soundtrack of a soft corpse. <laughs> so anytime it played, I was just like, "Oh, they're gonna have sex." I, but I am actually a little bit upset about the hand having Mother Abigail's voice. Maybe I'm thinking too much into it. But the whole reason that she goes out into the wilderness is because she's been prideful. She has mm-hmm. lifted herself God, up before these people <laughs> as an idol. And at the very end of the movie, the hand of God is her voice. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. either lean into it, Mother Abigail, some, or stay out. <laughs> some real fucking mixed messages. From yeah. <laughs> it really is. Not going to lie. After Vegas exploded, I just stopped. <laughs> there was- <laughs> I, well, I didn't. But as we were leading up to this, I'm like, Wait, did it end there or did 
Did they have the thing with Stu oh, and they Tom? Did. They did, but it was... It was like another 20 minutes. I was like, nah, <laughs> I, I don't need to watch this. Josh, was there anything memorable from Stu and Tom in the miniseries? It, well, we did get... We finally got those sweet Rob Lowe tones. Because we get the dream where he comes to him, Nick comes to him, and he's like, hey, you need to help Stu out. And Tom just gets to be really excited that he can hear Nick. But I was said that we didn't get that. also that sad counter moment where he's like, I can't wait to see you. Well, gotta go. Or the bonding between Stu and Tom at the end of yeah. the Christmas scene. Because Stu in the miniseries, his character was more like... I felt like we were arguing it should have been in the book, more of a backseat character mm-hmm. that like I, I don't even think we've talked about him <laughs> so we far. And we're like 55 minutes really. in. It's Gary Sinise. What is there to say? It's, <laughs> it's Gary Sinise. He's there. Like and He does a fine job, but it you just don't feel invested in Stu in the miniseries. I don't think it didn't come through to me that way. Which leads me to the last thing I want to talk about before we stop. Uh, we've... Made a big deal about the casting of this uh, this miniseries. Disagreed on some of it. Uh, some of them we really liked. Some of them we didn't. Well, as most of our listeners, I'm sure, know, they are currently working on a stand series. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, a limited a limited run series. Uh, I believe it's going to be 10 episodes or yep. something like that. And some of the cast has been announced. Um, I know we've talked about it off mic. Most of it, not super psyched about. Uh, I wanted to get, first of all, you guys' opinions on um, mostly James Marsden as Stu. Yep. Really? I'm on board. Cyclops is the best X-Man. In my head, reading Stu, I, I, I try really hard to picture what characters look like. And for Stu reading this book, I have a very clear image of him. I think he looks just like an X Man, <laughs> but not Cyclops. He looks like Hugh Wolverine. Jackman. He, yeah, no, really? not, no, not Hugh Jackman. The comic book Wolverine, short, kind of thick, hairy, gruff. He's like this good old boy Texan and I don't think he's this like handsome movie star. I think he should be played by like a a shorter stocky dude. Yeah, I also yeah. agree. I never I did not imagine Stu as an attractive person. But no. now can we but. please have Hugh Jackman? <laughs> I I'd, I'd be okay with putting <laughs> Hugh Jackman. But and then my 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 real question was if we were casting if we were in charge of casting the stand, what 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 are our choices? I think I accidentally gave mine. <laughs> yeah, okay, that, that's that's fair. We we can put a Hugh Jackman. That'll get the that'll get the ladies in. That'll uh, <laughs> that'll get the ladies. <laughs> in. Yeah, that'll be that demographic. Yeah, I like him for uh, his abs. I mean, acting. He did a great job in Oklahoma. So I've seen Hugh Jackman play a good old boy. I I would like to see Ryan Gosling. The way he is in uh, movies like Drive. Mm, uh, wait, as uh, Stu? No, I don't know who, but I want him in there. I don't know. Who would he... Yeah. What do you I think, think he'd be a, a good Larry. I bet you're right. Or, a, or Very, a Nick. I mean, he barely talks in Drive. Yeah, he'd, he'd play that complex character really, really well. Yes. So Ryan Gosling's my pick. 
Uh, I I would agree with Ryan Gosling for Nick. You need someone who can pull uh, off all the emotion without being able yes. to use words at all. Uh, we we already I think cast. Um, we got to get Jeff Goldblum as Flag. <laughs> oh yeah, fuck yeah. And I have a like a stuffed teddy bear in my closet that could play Franny. <laughs> <laughs> Jonah Hill as Harold. He, oh, he's definitely, he's definitely too old. He's too, okay, young Jonah, young Jonah Hill. Young Jonah Hill. Young Jonah Hill is Harold. Oh, we're time traveling. Got it. <laughs> sure, why well, not? Well, that opens up a lot of options. Uh, young Danny DeVito is Stu. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen Stewart is Nadine. You don't have to do any emoting. The Hershey's just dead inside. Or Dana. No, oh, I'm sorry. You said Kristen Stewart, and in my head, I was thinking of Kristen Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell. Uh, Kristen ooh. Bell. Kristen Bell is amazing. Yeah, I would say Kristen Bell would be a good Dana. She'd definitely be a kick-ass Dana. Ted Danson as... Um, <clears throat> Glenn. Glenn. Fuck yeah. Yeah, Ted Danson as Glenn. Um, the guy that plays Cheaty as... <laughs> okay, so we're just <laughs> casting The Good Place. Yeah, I just want to watch The Good Place. Yeah, let's go right watch now, The Good guys. Place. Okay, yeah. I want... Oh, remind me his name. He played the gunslinger. I want to give him another chance. Idris Elba. Idris Elba. I want Idris Elba. Maybe. Idris Elba as Mother Abigail. (laughs) I don't know about that. Guy's got range. He does. (laughs) Jesus. I'm trying to think. I almost want Idris Elba as Stu. I would watch Idris Elba in literally anything. Uh, 100%. 100% agreed. Or Franny. Let's just make this more modern let's make it a relationship between two men it's all elba yeah it's elba plays everyone <laughs> the stand elba edition <laughs> okay we've, we've clearly gone off the rails yeah it's <laughs> the only the only casting the official casting that's up in the air that we've talked about is that we know that marilyn manson is supposed to play somebody and i swear to god if he's not the trash can man i'll be angry i would love uh, marilyn manson love to play that. the trash can man i see him as Again, we'd have to time travel. Harold. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, I guess we should rate this bad boy. Who wants to go first? Oh, it's going to be easy for me. Go for it, Ben. Uh, I will never be watching this ever again. <laughs> uh, I, I tr- The last time I tried watching this uh, was a year or two ago. It was before we had started the podcast and... It was on Hulu or something. I was like, oh, yeah, The Stand. I love The Stand. And I made it a half an hour in. <laughs> and if I had not had to record this episode, I wouldn't have made it any further this time. <laughs> One Blue Chambray shirt out of five. Wow. And that's generous. I think that I, I enjoyed uh, a lot of things about it. There were problematic things. But overall, it didn't feel like a slog like it didn't feel like a a tough six hours when we talked about sitting and watching it in one go a part of me was just like in agony at the idea and i enjoyed it but because there were some two ridiculous things some very problematic things i can't give it any more than three out of five blue chambray shirts it is truly a product of its time and the 90s were not kind to horror and sci-fi at times if this had been done in the 80s oh man would that have been awesome <laughs> it, that is inexplicable to me it would have been 
if it would have been as a movie in the 80s, it would have been great. Yes. Yeah. Let me make that clear. It would have to be 80s movies. Come on. 80s. Even 70s. 70s or 80s. Solid gold. 90s. uh, Sorry. But it didn't offend me. I didn't hate it. I, I would give it four, but because I also will never probably watch it again, although I'm very excited to watch the new one, I'm going to give it three out of five blue chambray shirts. Well, I think that's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next time as we'll be covering the short story and movie adaptation of 1408. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you, don't screw with my disco. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thanks for listening to part six of The Stand, the miniseries. Wasn't that a hoot? Listeners, I apologize for saying hoot. In case you missed it on our last episode, Dairy Public Radio will be live at the Midwest Monster Fest Sunday, September 15th from 5 to 6 p.m. We'll also have a booth at the fest all day the 14th and 15th. Come say hi, get a bloody mic enamel pin, t-shirt, hug from Josh or Ben, but not from me. I don't know how to hug. I do give a good handshake, though. This is getting weird. Shout out to our awesome new station interns who recently signed up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash dairypublicradio. Spanky, Matt Kendall, and Tony Rizzo, you all rock so hard. We can't express our appreciation enough for your support. It seriously means so much to us. We hope that you guys are enjoying your membership perks. I wish you could all see our faces every time we get a new supporter. It blows our minds. If you don't want to join our Patreon but still want to show us some love, you can give us a one-time donation by using our PayPal, dairypublicradio at gmail.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes for free. We also sincerely appreciate that, and it keeps us in the podcast public eye. Follow us on social media at Dairy Public Radio on Facebook and Instagram, and Dairy Public on Twitter. Check out our website, constantreaders.org, and fill your everything Stephen King need while you wait for the next episode. We have some awesome writers on there. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.